This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor. Happily, Paul. Paul, I'm happy you're here. Happily that you're here. And hopefully you're happily here as well. <laughs> I am. I'm happily I'm here too. Yeah, I know. It's good morning. We started a little later, so I got, you know, a little extra coffee time. So hopefully I will nice. be, uh, you know, full octane. But uh, no, it's great. Very happy to be here. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. And uh, here we are in, in August already. I know. I know. It's weird to kind of feel <laughs> the looming, you know, there's after the lazy days of summer, which with kids is never all that lazy, but to start mm-hmm. to feel the looming, you know, responsibilities, but also some fun stuff ahead, you know, our yeah. youngest starts school basically in, you know, like four days. Oh, wow. <laughs> they start really early. And then our oldest, as I've mentioned, is going off to college like a week after that. So the household is going to be, look a lot different in a couple of weeks for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, that's kind of crazy. Our ours are starting. I think on the sixteenth is their first day of, mm. of school again, mm-hmm. which it does, does still feel early, but it's a little bit later than yours. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> why our district starts so early, but every time they complain, I also remind them it seems like they have every other Friday off throughout the year, and they get like <laughs> you know, two weeks for every minor holiday that comes along. So I think that's it's just true. been a, a realignment of the way they do things. From when at least when I was a kid, we would start later and end, you know, in May, end of May, but then we would Mm -hmm. seemingly get very few days off in between. So that's how I felt too. I do remember living back East where they start quite a bit later and Mm. you know, there's the the Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom is a summertime movie and it feels so, you know, the the kids are out on camp, but it's the end of summer. It's, it's the middle of September in that movie. It's almost like, summer, you know, the real end of summer and the beginning of fall. And right. I, I sometimes feel a little bit like, oh, I we don't get that same last push of the kind of lazy days of August. It's uh, it's already fall, you know, in a way. I know. So. Yeah. I feel bad for all the kids across the country too, where they start in August and half the time the schools don't have proper air conditioning and different things like that too. Yeah. It's like, oh, miserable. Yeah. Mm. But <laughs> yeah, but either way, I guess, you know, the reality is they'll be Heading back soon, much to their reluctance, I think. <laughs> and uh, and maybe a little bit more reading time. You know, we are getting into that beautiful time of reading in the in the year. It's almost fall reading season. I'm, we're already kind of feeling it. Like, you know, ask my wife, what do you want to do tonight? She's like, oh, we should just get out some blankets and, you know, pop some popcorn and watch a really, you know, something that we would do in the fall. It's like, it does feel like we should be doing that just because, you know, the, the kids going back to school soon. But it's like 100 degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now, we've been doing the same thing. We've watched a couple of movies recently, and they've both been horror movies, which is usually kind of our October, <laughs> obviously, thing. And so it's we must be a little ahead of schedule, too. Any good ones? Yeah. We Briefly? watched last, last night. Um, our friend Jackie Wine had pointed out to me, I didn't realize it had been made into a movie, but the Samantha Schweblin um, mm. novel Fever Dream was a movie which I didn't know and we watched that last night and you know it, it's different than the book but my wife and I both thought it did a really nice job of capturing that you know the fever dream is the perfect name for it because <laughs> it just makes you feel unsettled and kind of uncomfortable for the whole thing and they did a really nice job with that and then we actually saw a movie in the theater which is a rare occasion for us um, last <laughs> week we saw what is it called talk to me have you heard of that one? It's, oh, I've heard about it yeah I've heard it's yeah. really really good it is really, really good. Yeah, it's an Australian film. I think it was 
I, I know that it made its way to the Cannes Film Festival, so it's you know pretty highly acclaimed and. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's starts off. I wasn't sure what to think of it for maybe the first thirty minutes. It's kind of a truth or dare kind of thing with some some frat boys and teenagers where they have this kind of you know I won't give too much away, but there's this kind of like statue hand thing that they do this kind of dare with, and it has all kinds of crazy effects. And so at first I wasn't sure where they were going <laughs> with it, but boy, I'll tell you what the the last half of that movie is. Um, yeah, it comes together. It's one of those we've talked about how horror books and horror movies always have a wobble or usually have a wobble mm-hmm. or fall flat on their face. And I feel like this one maintained throughout, which is kind of my criteria cool. for a good horror movie. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Did your back hurt when you left the theater as it did when you watched the Blair Witch Project? <laughs> no, I've never reached those heights again. Um <laughs> That was, yeah, my wife and I were actually just talking about that after we came out of there. It was good, but it wasn't Blair Witch good. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, All right. maybe someday I'll achieve that again. But but in the meantime, this was very solid. Well, good. Well, and, you know, that's not really the traditional question that we ask, so I'll go there. Um, okay. But also because of kind of an announcement that you have, this will be an exciting edition of, Paul, what have you been reading? Yeah, it is kind of an exciting addition. I don't think I have mentioned yet on the podcast, but I was lucky enough to be chosen as one of the judges for the North American version of the 2023 Republic of Consciousness Prize. So I'm really thrilled about that. Um, some of our listeners probably remember when Lori Feathers came on to chat about book prizes. I looked it up. It was back on episode 40. Hard to believe it's already been that long. But she actually heads the North American version of that prize, as we mentioned, and she reached out and I feel very honored and excited to, to join a group of judges that also includes uh, Zoe Grams, Amanda Kassar, and James Crossley. So a nice, solid lineup of, of book lovers. I, I was reading their bios. I'm looking forward to getting to know them a little better, but they're booksellers, most of them, and they all seem to have you know, a, a soft spot for uh, translated literature like we do. So it'll be really fun. And so, yeah, as part of that, as you know from having done book prizes in the in the past, the books start trickling in and I'm like, okay, I better get going on these. Um, So I just finished reading one called The Ghost of You by Margarita Sauna, I think is how you say her name, S-A-O-N-A, translated by Luciana Eru, and that's published by Labyrintho Press. Um, And yeah, this is a really slim book, but boy, it really packs a punch too. It's um, kind of a series of fragments. I wouldn't call them short stories necessarily, but none of the pieces are longer than five pages. And many of them are just a couple of paragraphs, or even a few of them are just a couple of lines long. And they're all about loss and loneliness. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you call them poems or microfictions or short stories, but um, whatever you call them, they're really good. And I was just, they're short enough. I was just going to read a couple of them just to give people a quick sampling. So there's one called Disease. And it says, her problem was that for her, language was another skin. Others Even those who thought they knew what they were talking about did not know when their words touched her in the most intimate ways, or when they were clumsy and cold. They did not know if the words aroused her senses, or if they left deep scratches on that other skin. And thus, to protect herself, she created a fine armor made of silences. So I thought that was pretty beautiful. And then there's one Mm -hmm. more that's just a teeny bit longer, and it's called The City Where You Are Not. I have returned to the city where you are not, and I don't know why the fact that you are not here surprises me. I did not expect to see you. Nonetheless, it shocks me not to find you in every corner. Let me explain. It is as if you were here, as if you were going to be here, as if it was impossible to avoid the memory of your body. 
to not think of the ghost of you remaining in all the spaces you used to inhabit. And only this absurd circumstance, my untimely arrival, prevents me from finding you. You are here. It is just that I cannot see you because I live in the now, and you dwell here yesterday or tomorrow. My arrival is ill-timed, and I cannot find you. I'm surprised I cannot find you. I believe I could see you catching a cab, buying some flowers, crossing the street, entering the subway, or texting while you hurry down the sidewalk. Among the millions of people who are here, and those who are gone, among the millions who will come, suddenly it is your absence that I find when I walk out of sync in the city where you are not. I, oh, I know, me too. I, I was having a hard time picking which ones to, to read, but I thought those two were both really good. And I mean, they're not all achingly sad and lonely like that one. There's some that are a little more lighthearted or, or have some different wrinkles, but I would definitely say that, you know, the loss and the loneliness are the themes that kind of carry throughout, but it's a very slim book um, from a publisher that I was not familiar with. So if that's a taster of, of what this judging process is going to be like, I'm very excited because getting introduced to new authors, new books, new presses, that's what it's all about. So I'll continue to, to share in the coming months. Um, you know, to be clear, Lori Feathers told me, share away. That's kind of the whole point of this prize is to kind of spread the word about all these great books and prizes. So I'm not crossing any lines. I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going <laughs> to be a lot of that. fun. Not for that, at least. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but yeah, I look forward to kind of sharing with you and our listeners some of the other books and, and publishers that I come across in the coming months. So yeah, That's exciting. I, mm-hmm. I think that's cool. You have that opportunity to 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 be a judge on a book prize. I, I know. I, I'm excited to hear your, not just the experience with the books, but the experience of, of engaging in that exercise. It's uh, you know, it's, it's unique. So yeah, have, have fun with it. I'm excited. I will. Thank you. Yeah, I know that that your your uh, round of judging, you know, what has it been? Almost five, ten years ago, made a yeah. huge impression on you, and you were introduced to a lot of great books. And I know that mm-hmm. you know it, it's kind of changed a lot of things about your reading life for a while. So I'm looking forward to seeing what it yeah. does for me. Yep. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to to compare notes afterwards. So <laughs> I think so. Absolutely. Well, how about you though? What have you been reading? All right. Well, speaking of horror, um, I actually read, finished uh, this week Stephen King's uh, fairy tale that came out last year. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've looked into that one at all. I've not. Um, I'd love to hear what you thought of it, though. So as per usual, it, it was very easy to just keep reading mm-hmm. and to think, oh, I want to see what's going to happen next. Even when if I step back, I go... I know what's going to happen next. This right. isn't unique. This isn't like, he's just really good for, I don't, I don't know how he does it. Um, the first, say a th- third of the book kind of takes place in our normal world. And that's probably the part that I preferred. There's a, a, a high schooler, you know, he's a big kid. Um, and he talks about how his mom was killed, uh, you know, maybe a decade beforehand uh, while crossing a bridge and that his dad had become a drunk. Well, finally, after, you know, some time, uh, his dad went to AA and, and has recovered and he has kind of taken it upon himself, the kid to, he owes, he owes something in the universe, uh, a favor. Mm -hmm. He's going to be a better person than he used to be. And, but also just, just try and find something to do that's good. And he, um, uh, as he's walking past one of his uh, neighbors, kind of a reclusive older man who lives in the psycho house, you know, up on the hill um, mm-hmm. with a, with a big scary dog. 
he hears the dog barking, but not in a threatening way, but in a sad way. And he goes and finds the man has fallen and um, like he broke his hip or something like that. And so he's, you know, he, he befriends this man and this dog. And I just really, I really liked that part. Mm-hmm. There's some intrigue and some mystery because who is this man? What is he, you know, what what is his past and all of that? Well, the book becomes a portal fantasy uh, about uh, a third of the way, or maybe even a little more than that through it. And it's fun. You know, it is interesting, but it's, it lacked a little bit of the personality. And in the end, I was like, okay, you know, it's similar to how I felt um, with several of the more recent Stephen King books where I'm like, okay, right. I, I, I fell into it again, you know, and it's fun. And I'm glad I read it. I would never, like I would, even now I'd say, Hey, go, go read this book, Trevor, you know, you'll have fun with it. Um, but you know, I, 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 I guess sometimes I just hope it'll be another, uh, you know, shining or or yeah. misery or something like that that i just among my favorites pet cemetery and that's mm-hmm. okay that it isn't um right but that's that's the one and uh to keep on my you know it's okay theme i have one chapter left in the the newest alice hoffman book the invisible hour mm-hmm. um it'll be out so this this episode um comes out the first week of august and the uh the book comes out i think on the 15th maybe the 16th uh, whatever one of those is a Tuesday. And I've been excited to read it. My wife is a big Alice Hoffman fan, um, especially for her kind of historical Jewish fiction mm. um, versus, you know, her practical magic and all of that. I think she thinks those are fine. Um, and this one seemed to be kind of a nice mix of, and maybe one that would uh, really appeal to me because it's a, a young woman who lives in a community, you know, a kind of a patriarchal, horrible um, community. Uh, who is saved when she reads, you know, kind of internally, um, Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. Oh, yeah. And falls in love with the book, falls in love in a way with the author. And uh, lo and behold, Paul, this is not a spoiler because it's on the blurbs and stuff, but 50% uh, of the way through the book, I mean, it's like, bing, right in the middle. She gets to go back in time uh, oh, wow. <laughs> and be with Nathaniel Hawthorne. And once again, I'm, I really have enjoyed, I really enjoyed the first, say, quarter of the book. And then it seemed to be speeding through things mm-hmm. in order to get to that, that midpoint. And then it just started to feel really didactic. Like the, the, the themes are important. And I'm going to talk about this more in my, you know, like post that I do on it. But the, the themes are absolutely important. And, and it's one of those things where I'm like, if one person out there starts to think a little bit more critically about uh, autonomy for females over their bodies and over their lives, mm-hmm. then you write this book and you make it as blatant as you want to. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, you have old, you, you know, it, it's just, there's a little jarring when she goes back in time and um, one of Nathaniel Hawthorne's sisters is talking to her and they've only met for like two minutes. It feels like, and, Yes, there's this, the initial skepticism, but we kind of skip over any kind of development and get to where um, Elizabeth Hawthorne is like, I just wish we had control over our own bodies. And I'm like, that just jarred me. You know, I'm like, that doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound like the way she would, would talk about it. And so you skip some of the ability for me to come upon these issues and think about the relationship between, you know, back in the 1840s. 
um, and and beyond, you know, into the past with the witches and the things Nathaniel Hawthorne was dealing with, mm-hmm. and the comparison with today after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and just things in general. Like, there's a lot of great stuff here, and I feel like the book has just said I'm going to make it very blatant and didactic. And it suffers because of that for me. The things that I would really like, you know, some development of these characters, um, maybe a little bit, uh, a little bit more of that. So it's, 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 you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the August heat. But right. Fairy Tale and The Invisible Hour were both are both books. I'm glad I'm I've read and I am reading. I'm excited to go and finish. I've got one chapter left of The Invisible mm. Hour. Thought I might get to it before we started, but I, I couldn't. Uh, I'll finish it today and I'm excited for it. I just am also a little bit disappointed because I know, I know that she has done fantastic work, uh, more subtle work um, uh, on similar themes. And I, I guess I wish this one, maybe because it's more like, Oh, I love the idea of going back and like a time travel romance between <laughs> this young, you know, woman and Nathaniel Hawthorne and, I don't know why I'm not going to get into that, but, <laughs> but it, it hasn't been all that I, I hoped it would be. And in fact, has been a little bit of a bludgeon on things that yeah. I think are absolutely again, important. I do hope people read the book and, 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 and love it and also capture some of those ideas and start thinking more about that because it, you know, one of the things about kind of being critical of a book like this is it feels like I might be, Oh, this book is too blatant. These things aren't quite as uh, as important as that. No, that's not the case at all. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. deserve a heavy hand in many ways. It's just not really what I was, what I wanted in the book. So, mm-hmm. no, it will be interesting to see. I don't know if you've read anything, but maybe she will talk about some of that as it comes out. But you do wonder sometimes, like you said, if just the immediacy of everything that's happening right now. Yeah, if there was some desperation. Or, or maybe not desperation, but she felt the need to not be so subtle, you know, and kind yeah. of fight. I got to get this fire. out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Well, I've not read any of her books, but from everything you've told me about her, you know, she does sound like somebody that I would be interested in exploring more with. Yeah, my uh, my wife has loved a couple of them. Uh, is it the world as it is now or something. I don't know. The world that and, we knew. I just had it open. Yeah, here. that's right. Mm-hmm. That I think is one of my wife's favorite books, let alone, you know, gr- great Alice Hoffman books. And I think she really loved the, the dove keepers. Um, is there one called the museum of innocence that you're looking um, at there? The museum of extraordinary things. Oh, the museum of extraordinary things. I think I'm thinking of a, Maybe it's Pamuk or something. Anyway, (laughs) yes. Yeah, the Museum of Extraordinary Things. You know, she's got some great things. And my wife has read, uh, I think, just the first Practical Magic book, you know, very different in in Mm. some ways from these more, more, not that it's a comedy, but a little bit more serious books. But me, I'm just talking about what my wife has told me. I, I do want to read more. I'm excited. Another reason I was kind of excited for this one when it came out, I thought, oh, this is my my ticket in, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go and read more of her books. And now I'm like, OK, I am going to um, because I don't think this is uh, exactly uh, this doesn't give me a good taste yet. So, right. Well, she's very prolific looking down through her list. So you have lots of choices, but luckily it sounds like you have your wife to kind of mm-hmm. guide you maybe to some <laughs> other choices as well. But yeah, no, that's really interesting. But yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And there's, you know, there's so many good books coming out, Paul. I, I tried to put a list together of books coming out each month over the next, you know, until the end of the year. Oh man. 
Oh man, there next month I have six books that I am going to read. Um, and seven in October. And these are just the ones that kind of came to mind as I was putting together the list. Five in in November. There's never really any publications in December, it doesn't feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's just some some really good stuff. Uh, from I mean, the, and these authors, you know, Yi Yun Lee has a new collection of short stories next month. Lauren Groff's The Vaster Wilds, mm-hmm. a new J.M. Kutze ebook. Um, David Diop is coming out with another book. Olga Raven. Um, it's just, yeah, yeah, that's just next month. <laughs> Jhumpa Lahiri is, a, is October, I think. So uh-huh. like, that immediately gets my radar up. Yeah, yeah like you said, it's... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, Jasmine Ward has her new book yeah. out. That we, we, you know, we talked about some of these in an episode a few you know, a few weeks ago, our, our most excited, exciting releases of the year. But yeah, it's I was it's talking to Kim McNeil about that because she was asking me about, you know, judging the book prize. And I was saying how excited I am to do it. But also it's it's a good pressure, but I'm like, okay, so that's going to be like, you know, whatever, 50 to 70 books probably. But then I'm also, you know, still dipping in and out of the NYRB women. I am mm-hmm. reading the... um Oh, the, uh, what is it called? The Samurai, the read-along. Um, oh, The Last, last Samurai? By the Last DeWitt. Samurai, yeah. I'm, I'm, I joined that group. So it's it's funny. It's like this self-imposed <laughs> pressure that's all fun, but it's like, wow. And then all these books it, that are coming out, I better just quit my job. Yeah, just That's what I was just going to say. We all know the answer. Yeah, that's clearly it. <laughs> It'll only be sustainable for a month or two, but... <laughs> Maybe if all of us started playing the lottery, you know, one of us wins, we can divide the prize money and probably still be able to buy ourselves some years of, of that would know, be free that reading. would be wonderful yeah <laughs> all, all right well we should probably introduce our topic and and move on to it today is there anything else before we take a little bit of a you know stretch and breather that you'd like to say no i think i'm ready to dive in all right we'll be back in one moment little bit of a story um, to talk about before we get into our topic, but it's related to our topic. Okay. So our our topic this 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 week are favorite books that we have forgotten, and we're going to talk about what that means to us. You know, there's a few different approaches to that that uh, idea, that concept. But as I was going through some of my favorite books that I've forgotten, <laughs> mm-hmm. I came across, you know, I, I was just going through old reading lists, you know, some of those things and looking at my shelves. And I saw uh, Stephen Milhauser's books and in particular, like We Others, you know, these great books of short stories. And I thought oh, that could apply here because I love his books, but I don't I don't think about them that often. You know, and Edward Mulhouse, for example, you know, is one of my favorite novels. I love it. But we have talked about him and his work and even the short stories and Edward Mulhouse. So I thought, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it. But I wonder how he's doing. Because I think he's almost in his eighties. Is is he an octogenarian yet? And I went on this is on Thursday night, October or sorry, August third, and I thought, I wanna see 
um, how he's doing. And if he's, if he's made it into that, that club of like, you know, where William Trevor was and Alice mm-hmm. Monroe, you know, of these, um, uh, and, and, uh, um, Cynthia Ozick for a decade was an octogenarian. Now she's a nonagenarian still yeah. publishing and, and, you know, short stories and such, but I thought, is he there? And lo and behold, August 3rd, when I was looking it up, he turned 80 <laughs> years old. So wow. <laughs> happy awesome. birthday, Stephen Milhauser. <laughs> yeah. You were in sync. You you must have had uh, you know, some kind of psychic moment there. Well, and I'm wondering if there's even more because I I thought, you know, it's been what, almost a decade since his last collection of short stories. I haven't seen any of his stories in the New Yorker. I thought yeah. he must be he must be done. And that's mm-hmm. okay. And then I see at the bottom of his bibliography a new book called disruptions that's out this year, 2023. So I look it up. It came out last Tuesday, Paul, it came out two (laughs) days before his birthday, this beautifully, you know, it's a beautiful hardback of, you know, just like we others. And what was the other one? I can't think of it right now, but you know, these great hardcovers that Knopf Mm -hmm. has been putting out of his short stories. That's what it is. It's, it's amazing. And it's got a review in the New York Times. And I thought, how did I miss this? And and whatever force in the universe said, look up Stephen Milhauser. It's today's his birthday. You don't want to miss it. Oh, and he has a new book out this week. You don't want to miss that either. You know, I'm like, wow, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, geez, it's because of this episode, you know, I'm looking up um, some of my favorite forgotten uh, or f- favorite books that I have forgotten. And led me to that kind of funny story that I thought I'd share with you because I know you're a Milhauser fan too. Oh, yeah. So, you know, jump on that, throw away Absolutely. all the books that are coming in. And you've been, you just told me about that you were planning on reading yep. to get to this collection of short stories. And uh... <laughs> how did we like with all of our preview episodes and all the book talk we have, that's what we've talked about this before. It amazes me how much no. time we spend talking about this stuff, looking it up and somehow mm-hmm. Not only did hidden gems slip through, but I mean, somebody like Stephen Milhauser, you'd think that would be yeah. right on our radar. I mean, I look him up. This isn't the first time I've looked to see if he was in his 80s yet. Because I, you know, I've had that thought yeah. before. I knew he was getting close. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not the first time in the last, uh, you know, you know, even year that I've thought, oh, I wish he had another book of collect- or short stories coming out. Is there anything online about that? And yeah, he's been publishing in, these in um, little magazines and such. But yeah, there we are. So I'm really I'm jumping exciting. on that. Unfortunately, I can't find it anywhere local. I I, I wish that I could. If it were, I'd already have it. Um, yeah. But even like weirdly, I mean, it's Knopp and it's Stephen Milhauser, but the Barnes and Nobles around here don't even have it. That's really. Weird. And I'm like, wait, is this? Did I dream this? Maybe I dreamt it, which I think <laughs> Stephen Milhauser would love. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Yeah, that seems perfect if you did, but I hope you, uh, no, I just looked it up. I can confirm unless we're having a shared dream. <laughs> right. That's probably really cool. that. It's yeah. Probably, I'm probably sure. that. Again, perfect short story fodder. We are, maybe we are in a Stephen Milhauser short story oh, right now. Yeah, there that would go. be even better. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess to make That's it perfect. fitting, let's talk about things that we've forgotten. You know, Let, mm, let's, uh, mm-hmm. let's move on to that. Um, so, the, the way that I thought about this, you remember back when we did our episode on rereading mm-hmm. uh, and I said, you know, there are some of these books that I've been saying for decades are my favorite books and they are, I don't, I'm not wrong, but I don't remember them anymore. The me who yeah. I am now doesn't really have 
those books in my life, other than they're my favorite books, they don't have the contents anymore in my life. I've mm-hmm. forgotten some of my favorite books. But I also thought, those are the books I always say are my favorite, and they have been that way for years. What are some books that I would also put as my favorites, but because I don't bring them up incessantly, you know, on uh, online or on our podcast, that I've just kind of forgotten I read, but that deserve to be in my favorite books I've ever read um, discussion. And I thought this will be kind of fun to to delve in and think what are some favorites that have once slipped my mind, um, as well as what are some, you know, like we talked about in the rereading episode, what are some of my favorites that I, I need to reread because I simply, they're no longer a part of my life other than the title and maybe a little right. bit of my impressions. Yeah. Um, so did, how did you approach this? Because we, we kind of talked a little bit about it, but I also thought, mm-hmm. oh, I want to, you know, let's see what you... Um, how, how you take it. Yeah, no, I love this topic and I love what you just said about it. I think that was kind of one of the approaches I took. My thought was, you know, like we just said, we spend so much time thinking about books, writing about books, talking about books that we're exposed to thousands and thousands of books and we read thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of books over the course of our lifetime. And so my thought was inevitably, no matter how much you like some of these books, just by the sheer numbers of things that come through, you know, some of them will just fade away in your memory over the decades, over the years. And so that was kind of the main thing I was thinking about was just volume, where it was kind of nice to go back and revisit these because, I mean, just like happens with NYRB or any of these other publishers, just some gems get buried in the sheer number of other books that are coming out. And so it was kind of fun to go back and what you were just saying, think about, A, what are some of these books that I say are my favorites that I don't really think about that much anymore? Or B, are there any ones that, you know, I was trying to think like if there was any five-star reads that I just don't even remember reading. And I don't think that happens very often. Although looking (laughs) back at my book list, I was amazed that there were some books where I'm like, geez, I don't even remember ever reading that book. And I gave (laughs) it like three or four stars, so it wasn't terrible. But I don't think it's five stars for me that just disappear out of memory. But it's more the idea of, oh, man, I forgot about that. That was 2007. And, you know, at that time, I, I loved it and I have very fond memories of it. But if I hadn't seen it on this list, I might not have ever thought of it again. It's just amazing that a book can be that powerful and make that strong of an impression <laughs> on you. But just due to time and like we said, everything else in our lives, how it can kind of fade away. So it's been really fun to just dig through those old lists. And it makes me want to, I've talked about, I'm not as good as I used to be about keeping those lists. This has been a good spur for me to hmm. get myself, you know, in shape here. Cause it, there's something mm-hmm. so valuable about having those lists and, and just all these memories and things that come stirring up when you start reading back through it. But yeah. So anyway, it's a great, <laughs> a great idea for an episode. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. Did it cause any, any amount of crisis for you? going back through these lists and seeing things that you'd kind of forgotten about. Um, let me, I'll, I'll give you an example while you, yeah. while you think about it. Apparently in the years 2014 and 2015, which I kept track of on Goodreads, mm-hmm. something must've been going on in those years because there were several books that if you held them out in front of my face, <laughs> I would have told you, hey, I've heard about that book, but I haven't read it. When I did and I tracked it and put, you know, when I finished it and my star rating, 
Um, and yeah, those may have been more stressful years in some ways. My kids were mm-hmm. all pretty young, you know, just getting established in career. Maybe that's it. But there are plenty that I read in those years that I do remember. It's not like it's a complete wash. Yeah. But but for example, I read John Fossey's Alice and the, at the Fire. Oh, really? And I remember it now. Yeah. But I I just read John Fossey's book, um, A Shining, that uh, Damien Cyril um, translated and that's coming out from transit here in a few months. I loved it. I thought it was my first time reading John, John Fossey. I, mm-hmm. I thought, hey, I've been wanting to read him for a while. This will be my chance to read something short and get into it and then maybe start the septology or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there, there's my list, Alice <laughs> at the Fire. I remember reading it now. I remember where I was. I read. I actually read it as a digital um, copy that they had sent to me in PDF or something like that from Dalkey um, back when when it came out. And and I gave. So I did give that book five stars, Paul. I did have some five really? star books that I just wow. I wouldn't have ever remembered that I had had read it. Why didn't that spur me to keep on reading more of his books? I know I'd been collecting them, you know, for mm-hmm. the day I started reading them. But I I was I was surprised. And part of this was brought to mind, and 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 maybe this was the the first intimation of Trevor. You need to keep track of things because your yeah. brain is is a is a sponge the the bad way. It's porous and things slip right out of it if you squeeze it. Um, I realized last month when we were reading for NYRB Women Twenty Three, Silvino Ocampo's "Thus Were Their Faces." I knew that I had read the the book or at least perused it when it came out, but when I started reading it for the project, I thought, "Oh, I guess." Maybe I didn't read all these stories. I thought that I did. I even thought that I I did a review on it. Oh, oh well, maybe this is one that I just misremember that. And I'm going through the stories and think, oh, that's a really good one. I went and read my review after I was done, after I was completely <laughs> done. And I'm talking about the very stories that I'm thinking this time around. Oh, that's a great story. I'm glad I read it. I didn't I didn't know my memory was that bad, but that's when I started to think, what have I forgotten? What is going yeah. on here? And what are some of my favorite books that I've forgotten? Because I, you know, I think Silvino Ocampo's Thus Were Their Faces is really, really good and lots of great stories. And I wondered too, if there are other reasons. Her Mm. stories are almost like dreams. Mm -hmm. Yon Fosse's Alice at the Fire is almost like a dream. Mm. There isn't these this sense of strong plot or sticking punch in the face, gut punch kind of um, stuff going on in these books. And I wondered if that's part of it too. Are yeah. these books that when you read them, they make an impression, but the similar to a dream, if you don't really sit and hold on to it, they're going to go, go off mm. into the ether. Um, because I, I really felt like there was some combination of, you know, as I'm going through the books that I have forgotten that I read, they seemed, you know, as I remembered them or looked into them, they seemed to be more of those ethereal uh, kinds of books. Mm-hmm. Whereas I still remember, you know, some stuff that I read when I was 12 years old really well. <laughs> yeah. Because, you yeah. know, I don't know. No, I think you're right. I think the the content definitely can play a factor in that. But I mean, I will say, I don't know that I had any quite like that, but I'm still going through my list. So there's possibly mm-hmm. some five star, 
you know, black holes lurking out there. <laughs> but there were plenty of books that I was just like either forgot. I completely forgot I'd ever read it. And there were a couple where I was like, I don't even know what that book is, you know, from not <laughs> as long ago as I would like to have thought it would be. <laughs> right. um, but one thing that I thought about when you were talking just now is you asked me either last episode or a couple episodes ago about Edith Wharton. Um, I believe it was The Age of Innocence. Yeah, it was The Age of Innocence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I haven't read that. And then the more you started talking about it and I was like, I did read it. I remember reading it on one of my camping trips that I've talked about in the tent. And I looked back <laughs> and that one, I gave five stars. So it wasn't that I necessarily didn't remember. I don't know if I got it mixed up with another one because I, but it is funny how memory works and, and some of these things it's definitely ex- exaggerates or, or emphasizes the need for tracking this stuff that you think in the moment, you know, Oh Yeah. I'll remember that, you know, I'll remember all these details uh-huh. and everything and I'm underlining it. I'm marking it, you know, I'll remember this in one year, five years, 10 years. And that is definitely not the case. And I can only imagine as we get older, <laughs> this will probably be something that comes up more. Probably there are times I'll, I'll take pictures of a page because I want to, Oh, I need to highlight this. Mm-hmm. But in order to remember what page it's on, I take a picture of the whole page so that I can see the page number and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes by that night, when I go back and reread it, I'm like, I, I don't remember what I wanted to highlight here. This is all, I like it, but there's nothing here that I would highlight. <laughs> yeah. Although so, I still kind of anyway. like that. No, I just think it's interesting because it, it's, you know, reading is so personal and so mercurial. And it, it is one of the things we've talked about with rereading as we go back and decide to reread some of these five stars that maybe we forgot. There's definitely always that, I don't know, fear is too strong of a word, but I am always a little worried. Like, like when you go back and read it, will it hold oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I and and maybe I even felt it. Remember when I reread The Invention of Morel earlier mm-hmm. this year and was like, mm-hmm. there's so much more going on there. In fact, and, and less of what I thought was going on there, less of what I remember is actually at the heart of that story than what I've over years have thought was the main thing and what I loved so much about it. Still mm-hmm. loved it um, and appreciated the opportunity to to revisit it. But um, at any any rate, wh- what are some ways that that you think are, are good ways to try to remember these things or help put these in more concrete in our brain? Um, we'll, we'll get into some specific examples of books that are among our favorites that we had forgotten in one in one sense or another. Um, mm-hmm. But do you have any suggestions or thoughts on uh, ways that you feel have helped you remember better than others. You know, I, I really, yeah. when I'm looking through this, I'm like, there are phases of life that I just don't remember what I was reading as well as other phases. What was mm-hmm. I doing differently? Yeah. I think everybody out there should start a podcast and talk about it every yeah. couple of weeks. <laughs> no, actually, I think I mean, that's joking, right though. I mean, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. As a, as a way of remembering things better and, and having to discuss it, it, it keeps it in mind a little bit longer. No, absolutely. I was thinking about that. I know that, you know, if we need an idea for our bingo card, maybe that palimpsest group that we were part (laughs) of might replace, you know, whoever's going away. But I know I talk about it a lot, but it's because it truly did have a huge impression on my reading life. And I mean, my life period in a lot of ways, just being around groups of smart people who are interested in a lot Mm -hmm. of the same things that you are, but are also interested in other things you've never even heard about. And they're kind of leading you down these paths. Some of the books that, as I was looking back on this list um, that did not, fade away from my memory and some that ended up on my all-time favorite list that are more in that category of, I don't remember all the details, but I've always listed them among my favorite books. 
came from that period where I was being exposed by you and John Self and Stuart and all these other people to all these great books out there. And so I, I really do think the value of these book clubs and book groups that we, you know, join with Cam or various other people out there doing it. I mean, that to me is one of the keys is yes, reading is a very personal experience and that's one of the things I love about it. It's you and the book and you're just immersed, but I do think sometimes when there's just you in the book and then you put it down and start another one, that for me is often when the books might fade away a little more. Whereas having conversations with you or online with all of our Twitter friends, sometimes just talking about it, hearing other people's perspectives, them uncovering new wrinkles, you know, maybe even them pushing back on something you said or vice versa. I think mm-hmm. that is where a lot of the stickiness takes place where, you know, you create not only the memory of the book, but also the experience of living in the book and talking about the book. So I really do think there's a lot of value there, whether it's a podcast or a blog or a online forum or social media. I think that's a key. And I, I think too, trying to not, not to get away from, from things, but trying to get new experiences in these forms. Mm. A lot of the, the most, um, I don't know, the the clearest memories that I have tend to be when I start to to meet people in a forum, like the Palimpsest. Mm -hmm. I remember things we talked about more at the beginning of my time there than at the end. The old Booker Forum on the Man Booker Prize website, I remember the first couple of years much better than I remember the last ones. I remember the, the weird things that happened on there, you know, people bickering and all of that and finally them shutting it down. Mm. Um, I remember that stuff, but I can't remember the books we were talking about as well as I can remember them the first, um, the first year or two. Mm. And, you know, I, sometimes it's the same with like Twitter or Instagram. It's not that I want a new place, but just trying to mix it up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. how am I doing my posts on Instagram? If they start to get too routine where it doesn't take any thought for me to make a post, then it kind of becomes, again, it's just me and the book or me and yeah. me and just afterwards, I, I put this formula together to, to post on the book. But I do remember when I, so I'm, I think trying to figure out different ways to communicate through these things mm-hmm. can also be really helpful. If they get too routine, then they get more generalized and, um, and less, less thought goes into the creation of the memory in some way. Uh, like earlier this year when I was reading uh, Postovsky's Story of a Life mm-hmm. and made it a point to, is, you know, some every other day or two to post something on Twitter in a thread, whether it was about the art or about a particular passage. I hadn't really done that before, but I know that helped me. But if yeah. I did that with every book I read this year, then I don't think it would be, you know, then I don't think it would work anymore. The, mm-hmm. to really set something into my mind. It would just be, um, oh, I need to put that in there. How about this one? Boom, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so, check, check you know, that I, off the... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I think new experiences, and I and I love that on our podcast, we just have a bunch of different topics that we come up with, because I think that also has been really helpful for me to always be considering various ways of looking at these uh, books or reading, and it's been able to help keep it fresh for me. Um yeah versus, oh, you know, we're going to just talk about this or that or the other, you know, as we always do every, Mm -hmm. we may say the same things every, every week. We know that (laughs) folks, we know that, but we're trying, we're thinking about them differently. (laughs) That's right. 
Well, and I do think I like what you said about new experiences because I tend to be very protective of my reading. You know, it's so special to me. It's such a big part of, of who I am, but it's also kind of like a meditation or a chance to kind of, you know, I don't know, unwind. I mean, there's a lot of things. It, it's, mm-hmm. it, I think like a lot of people out there, it's, it means a lot of things to me. So there is a tendency in me sometimes to want to not branch out and try new things, not to do a buddy read because then I'm assigned mm-hmm. a certain number of pages. And what if somebody says something that I disagree with or, you know, just whatever the case may be, or, or maybe audiobooks. you know, a lot of people think audiobooks. that's not real reading, you know, and I'm not going to say I was ever in that camp, but I didn't really know what I thought of it. And it's turned out to be, you know, some of the strongest impressions I've had from certain books, like I've talked about with Wolf and White Van and other ones like that, have been in the form of an audiobook originally. And so I think what you just said about keeping your mind open, trying new things, going and, you know, either virtually or in person, going to an author reading, and maybe you get a chance to ask a question of the author and get a whole new exposure to the way they think about their work or hear other people's questions. I, I do think a lot of that is just you know, like I said, it's reading is personal, but it's also very communal and there's a lot of value. There are the negatives, like you said, the book of form where it can go in other directions mm-hmm. and that's a risk you have to take, but there's also so much value out there. And I think for me, sometimes I need to remind myself to not get too precious or too protective of my reading life and, and kind of expose myself. I mean, this judging thing is a perfect example. I'll admit at first I was a little bit like, oh, you know, that's something like 70 books that could be considered assigned reading if, if I was in the wrong headspace. Mm-hmm. But I talked a little bit about it and, and some other people, and it was like, no, this is a really cool opportunity. And I think this is, you know, maybe not a once in a lifetime, but maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity to just do something that I've never done before. So I think there's just that willingness to to stick your neck out and try new things. And I think a lot of times those are the times in your life, like you just said, where you're trying new things, where you end up remembering a lot of the books and the conversations you've had very clearly. And there's something too about, um, similarly setting where, where, where you read, um, Mm -hmm. being like, I still remember taking a different route on my typical lunchtime walk because I wanted to keep reading Alice or, um, Anita Bruckner's look at me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I've got, I, I, if I take my normal route, I'm going to get back to the office and yeah, I could keep reading, but I, you know, I'd rather keep doing this. So I went a different, different way. And I remember an awful lot about this stuff I read that day in that, in that book, or at least my, you know, could be like the invention of Morel and it's just what I chose to get out of it. You know, right. <laughs> might be surprised, but nevertheless, my brain was working and it was being kind of assisted with a new setting. I think of that when I, you know, rearrange things here or, or try to try to carve out those moments. Um, mm-hmm. Even though that's not necessary to read, you know, as you've, you've really done a, a, a great job of helping me realize sometimes you just have to read a book and it creates its own space mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. uh, versus you having to have the perfect conditions, but also being able to sit down and say, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to make this a special reading time that can help too in a different way. So oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I, I keep mentioning the backpacking just cause it's most recent in my mind, but vacations, camping, mm-hmm. you know, reading with your kids, like you said, out yeah. by the campfire in the hammock. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it, but it's funny how it all gets tangled up and, and maybe it is an impression that isn't completely accurate when you go back and reread it 10 years later, but 
I still think there's a lot of value. Your original version of the invention of morale in your head is still part of you and it's an important you know, mm-hmm. memory. And it doesn't really yeah. matter that it may not have been factually 100% correct because um, I've had that ex- same experience with a lot of books, but I still think it's it shapes you, you know, for decades. Yeah, it came from that time of sitting down and reading it and mm-hmm. and, and everything that was going on. Yeah. yeah. Now I had a very similar experience when I re- went back and read um, Hawthorne and Child by Keith Ridgway. Mm which was one that I had read clear back that John Self had recommended. And, and it just blew me away. And a lot of the things that I remembered so strongly were in there. But like you said, it was maybe a page or, <laughs> or a paragraph. And it's just so interesting when you go back and, and revisit some of these five-star reads in your past that you forgot about, or you, maybe you don't forget the whole book. But I think that's another interesting wrinkle to this whole discussion is you may not forget the book, but you may forget parts of what the book actually is about, which is really fascinating. So I, so we both chose five books as we like to mm-hmm. do to try to discuss this further. Um, and I'll, I'll be curious as to what you chose and why you chose it. And maybe what are your memories of reading the book in particular? Do any of them have, you know, even if you forgot them in some way over the years, did this spark other memories about what was going on around your time of reading it too? So mm-hmm. what, what do you have for your first one you want to bring up? Sure. Well, I'll start with one that this falls in the category of, I think we have mentioned him and this book off and on, but for what a huge impression it made on me, I don't feel like I mention it enough. And it's Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates. Mm. Um, mm. You know, it, it's not like it's a forgotten book. It was a national, or it was a finalist for the National Book Award back in '62. You know, it received a ton of critical acclaim. I, I was looking it up in 2005. It was chosen by Time as one of the 100 best English language novels. So it's not like it faded into obscurity. And then, of course, it had a renaissance. Maybe what was that? 15 years ago, um, when the film came back. Out, when when I read it. Yeah, me and, too. And reviewed it. I reviewed it yep. on the Mooks and the Gripes, and that just blew up. Oh, yeah, up. that's what caused they, it. That's Leonardo good. DiCaprio read my review, and Kate, well, they decided yeah. to get together again to film. Exactly. <laughs> it's all thanks to you. Exactly. But it may have been no. you who told me to read it. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to take all the credit. That's funny. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> how I came across it, but, you know, it did have that renaissance. But it's funny. Now I feel like it's maybe he's faded away a little bit more back, mm-hmm. not into obscurity, but just not to the level where I feel like he deserves. Um, so anyway, yeah, his books, for those who aren't familiar, they're incredibly bleak, often explore some pretty dark sides of suburbia or middle age or different things like that. Um, I was looking in the October issue of the Boston Review back in 1999. He said his central theme, um, he says, if my work has a theme, I suspect it is simply one that most human beings are inescapably alone and therein lies their tragedy. So they're not feel-good books, but he also, I don't know, it's just, I know you're a fan too. He's, he's so powerful. Yeah. He's so good at getting it inside of, of people's lives and, and their heads. Um, and so anyway, the, the books are just amazing. And in particular, Revolutionary Road is one that every time I see it on my shelf, I'm like, oh man, that book is so good. I need to read it again. Um, you know, I don't know if we want a little quote from it real fast you know, maybe just to give sure. people a taste, but so it's set in 1955. It's about a couple named Frank and April Wheeler. They're in Connecticut. They're suburbanites. They kind of view themselves as different from their neighbors and maybe in some ways they are, but there's also, you know, if you look under the surface, there's a lot of commonality there. So 
just to give you a quick idea of some of the dialogue, I think this is Frank talking. He says, now you've said it, the hopeless emptiness. Hell, plenty of people are onto the emptiness part. Out where I used to work on the coast, that's all we ever talked about. We'd sit around talking about emptiness all night. Nobody ever said hopeless, though. That's where we'd chicken out. Because maybe it does take a certain amount of guts to see the emptiness, but it takes a whole hell of a lot more to see the hopelessness. And I guess when you do see the hopelessness, that's when there's nothing to do but take off, if you can. And so it's just, you know, he's really good at the the dialogue of, you know, it, it's it's rough, but it's also real. Um, so talking about the impressions that those books made on me, I don't remember specifically Revolutionary Road where I was, but I remember when our younger son, we were in the hospital and I was up at night and my wife was getting some sleep recovering and I was holding the baby and reading Easter Parade by Richard Yates. So some really uplifting, you know, your baby's just been born. You really want to read some uplifting stuff. So you turn to Richard Yates. I don't know. I also have another memory of reading Cormac McCarthy with one of our newborn babies. So maybe, I don't know what that says about me, but anyway. Um, But yeah, just, he's, he's a wonderful author. And I realized I read, you know, four or five of his books and loved all of them, but there's still a couple of his books that I've never actually read. So I'm thinking it might be time to kind of go through a completionist phase with him pretty soon. I like that idea. Um, yeah. I I first read him in 2008, shortly after I started uh, The Mooks and the Gripes. And I do remember uh, the reason I did it. Probably you were in the same, you know, palimpsest kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But John Self had yep. reviewed Disturbing the Peace. And he said at the start of his review, it was, and I still remember this. I remember this review, John. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. That's actually something else I could say. The, the the blogs that I remember from when I first started, it's crazy how strong Absolutely. those memories are. Um, it was with a strange and sad feeling that I realized while reading Disturbing the Peace that this was the last time I would read a work of fiction by Richard Yates anew. Methuen have now reissued all his novels in the UK and the cupboard is bare. He'd, you know, he'd read them all. And I hadn't read any at the time and thought, oh, I've heard about revolutionary road i should pick it up and so i i do remember um pretty well the the time period of reading this uh and and a lot of the stuff in the book actually Mm -hmm. and it 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 is but it still kind of applies because it's not one that i list when people say hey what's one of your favorite books or what should i read and i don't bring it up and i i do wonder if some of it's because i'm like I, i don't know if i want you to think about me while you mm-hmm. read that book. <laughs> right, right, right. I have a good relationship with my wife, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, for sure. Not, I do not uh, but anyway, yeah. All right. Well, the the one that I one of the first ones that I stumbled upon as I was going through this is I, I don't know if it'd be like a favorite book, but it's one of my favorite reading experiences ever. And I've never reread the book and I never bring it up anymore. It's uh, Ray Bradbury's Dandelion Wine. Have you ever read that one? I have. I fairly recently, actually. Because oh, really? I kept hearing it. Yeah, it was probably like two or three years ago. Yeah, that book is so, so there, good. Just, oh. There, yeah, and, and there's, it's about, it's almost like a summertime book mm-hmm. of a small town summer. And it's various short stories that aren't necessarily related, but they're like, you know, taking place in various of the houses. Some of them are involving the children, some, some recluses, you know, it's almost like Sherwood, Ohio, or, or Winesburg, <laughs> Winesburg, Ohio, by Sherwood Anderson's Winesburg, Ohio, in some ways. 
And then there are some stories that are just very mellow and summery and peaceful and others that have a little bit of, you know, Bradbury's sci-fi um, mm-hmm. imagination. Some melancholy and, for sure. Mm-hmm. I just remember, uh, I read it in college. I remember in my apartment and I remember sitting there that night and reading the whole book and just feeling like that was time really well spent. Mm-hmm. I loved that book. I loved mm-hmm. it, but I don't think about it um, very much anymore. I, I couldn't tell you any of the specific stories that, that took place in it. I, I remember having read it and I remember more about my atmosphere than yeah. I do about any of the, the particulars, but I would say this is one of my favorite reading memories, if not one of my favorite books, but I don't know. It's a certainly, I think, fit the bill for um, a favorite book that I've kind of forgotten about and, and wouldn't mind trying to remember a little bit better. Yeah. Well, I talked about playing the lottery earlier. I think <laughs> now is our time. I think based between the Stephen Milhauser story that you just told me about his birthday and the new book, and then something that just happened a few minutes ago, I think you're going to be the one that's going to pick our numbers because my next book is Winesburg, <laughs> Ohio. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a book that I don't think about very much, but it's so funny that you brought it up because I love, love, love this book. And I don't know why I don't think about it more often. It has a lot in common, like you just said, with... Mm-hmm. Um, dandelion wine it's this series of interconnected stories that you know all take place in this town and there are some commonalities and some shared characters but i think i've seen it referred to as like a story cycle rather than just a, a mm-hmm. collection um but yeah i think this is one of those books that just when i was going through that period where i was starting to realize all the different things that literature could do i think this one was one that really made a huge impression on me both the way that it's formatted, but also just the characters, um, the, the look at a small town and all the different perspectives. Um, you know, it's often called uh, one of the earliest works of modernist literature. And there's a lot of things going on in there that I think just kind of blew my mind at the time. So for what a huge impression it made on me at the time. And when I think back on it, how instantly I get excited. It's crazy that I don't think about this book more often and bring it up more often. Um, I don't even remember how I came across it. I'm guessing it might've been college, but I don't know. That's the crazy Mm. thing is like for how big of an impression it made on me, I don't really remember how I came across it. But all I know is every time I think of it, I just, you know, you get that surge of adrenaline of just like, Oh man, I forgot how good that book was. So yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Have have you read that one anytime recently or long time ago? Not too recently. I, I maybe, maybe I was rereading it maybe 2014, you know, that mm-hmm. those years of, uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, of missed, missed time. <laughs> right. Um, it's one of the few books that I own in, in a few different editions, uh, mm-hmm. because I do love it so much and I actually enjoy reading it from each of them for different purposes. Um, mm-hmm. I reread it. The reason I was rereading it was because of the library of America's, um, release of, of hit of it with his other short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a couple of other, um, additions on my shelf just behind me, you know, that, cause I, I do, I love those little stories of, mm-hmm. of his people with the lonely souls and, and all of that. So, yeah, I, I might have to get another edition now that we're talking about it. Cause I love the edition I have, but it's a tiny little mass pa- mass market paperback. And you mentioned the modern library. 
there's a there's a nice I like the penguin black spine the the classics editions mm-hmm. and it's very slender it looks great on the shelf and it just it's very simple Sherwood Anderson Winesburg Ohio in like the their orange print um, mm. I I that's probably my favorite of them. I'm sure they're really deluxe nice editions that I don't have um, but I I really like that one and. Yeah. Uh, the, you know the notes and various things like that just I, I i would recommend at least looking into it i'm sure yeah. there are others that would be just as just as good but yeah yeah, yeah for, for, for sure. sure it's it's one that deserves to be remembered and uh and purchased again you know <laughs> yeah for sure well i want to hear about your next book and i'm also hoping that you'll then automatically predict my next one since you seem to be on a roll here oh let's see yeah i mean i'm definitely it's probably not me who should play i'm using all of my luck right now but uh, that's true <laughs> so the next one that i i'm, I'm gonna cheat um it's jm Cutsey's uh youth trilogy or scenes from a provincial life trilogy his uh quote unquote memoirs that are boyhood youth and summertime hmm. and this is how much i loved these books i i read and reviewed the first one um I, I don't know when i read it but it would have been i would have finished it right around this time april 19th 2011 here's when i posted my review of the second one april 22nd 2011 and wow. of the third one april 26th 2011 that just one after another i was so um pulled into these unique memoirs that i had put off reading at the time uh, because I knew I knew one of those that I'm like, I know I'm going to like those. I'll read them when I when I get a chance. Uh, but it was summertime was nominated for the Booker Prize in 2009. And I thought I can't read it until I read the rest of them. And I think I put mm-hmm. it off for a few more years. But oh, man, I I loved these these stories and the the themes. Um, it re- reminded me of uh, a portrait of the artist as a young man, you know, another favorite book. And again, I know Katsui is complicated and uh, th- there are some, some things in his books that deserve criticism, but I loved these books about his, his youth and then growing into manhood, you know, um, mm-hmm. early jobs, things like that, his relationship with his parents that are, that are in that same, he, he applies the same kind of unsparing prose that he uses in his books in his own memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking of, I, well, I'll pull up this. This is one of the first quotes in my review of, of, uh, a boyhood it says he shares nothing with his mother. His life at school is kept a tight secret from her. She shall know nothing. He resolves, but what appears on his quarter, but what appears on his quarterly report, which shall be impeccable. He will always come in first in class. His conduct will always be very good. His progress. Excellent. As long as the report is faultless, she will have no right to ask questions. That is the contract he establishes in his mind. Mm. And it's just so, you know, so good as he works through these issues, but applies that very critical, uh, unsparing eye um, to, I'm not going to say his own life. I don't, you know, these are memoirs, but I don't, I have no idea how closely they track his life. And I don't really care about it for that purpose. But I, I loved this trilogy. And I don't know if I have ever said oh it's one of my favorite books or or anything like that and i don't think about it i hadn't i didn't forget that i had read it fortunately but these are three books that i love that i don't i don't think about very often anymore i would say those are 
favorites that never, whenever someone asks, what are your favorite books? They do not come to mind. Probably even if someone says, what are some of your favorite authors? Oh, Kutsui. I love reading his books. And I don't think of these three wonderful, probably my favorite things he's written (laughs) books. It's kind of crazy to me. What's my problem? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I think we both have similar problems. Yeah, that's really cool. I have not read any of those. I do have summertime of those. That's the only one I own, but it sounds like I need to get the others. Um, He's an author that I've loved everything that I've read by him, but this is another theme with me throughout as I'm looking at these books that I'm going to be talking about today. And just in general is how often I love some of these books, but I don't, that doesn't necessarily prompt me to go in and read the rest of their books, which is really, I don't know if that's that that whole thing of trying (laughs) to save them and savor them and spread them out. But this is proving that that can backfire because you read, (laughs) you know, this book and somebody you love like Richard Yates and I plan on, you know, kind of parceling them out over the years. And then all of a sudden I realized I haven't read any of his books in like 10 years. So yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to check those out. I've read Disgrace and Slow Man. Those are the two of his that I've read so far. And then I know I own at least two or three other ones. Yeah, I, I've. i he's one of my Pantheon authors. I do mm. still have some that I haven't read. Uh, but yeah, I, I everything that I've read by him, you know, to varying degrees, I just think are great. Yeah, so yeah. cool. Well, my next one comes from a time of my life where I think I was starting to kind of, a lot of these seem to be like formational for me, you know, um, when I was discovering magical realism and obviously Gabriel Garcia Marquez is is the first person that most people go to, including myself. Mm -hmm. And I think I read this book right around that same time, but the book I'm thinking of is actually The House of Spirits by Isabel Allende. Mm. Have you read that one? I haven't read that one. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's. You know, the problem with talking about these books that we've forgotten is that I've forgotten them. So I don't have the, uh, I didn't put in the hard work that you did, so I can't read my own blog entry. So I'll have to rely on a mixture of Wikipedia and maybe some quotes from the book itself. But this is a wonderful book. It's um, focusing on this family named the Chuebas spanning four generations, and it takes place in um, post-colonial Chile. So, you know, looking back on the reviews, it sounds like the country's name and the names of some of the figures that are brought up are are twisted or changed a little bit. So it's not explicitly talking about, you know, the, the real life people, but, you know, I think it's a pretty thin veneer. Um, and it's told mainly from the perspective of a couple of, of protagonists, Esteban and Alba. And like I said, it, it focuses a lot on, on magical realism. And I, I don't remember, this is one where I remember impressions of it. I remember beautiful writing. I remember some of the magical realism and some of this little bit of a fairy tale quality. And I think it was one of those books too that started to show me how a book can span generations and kind of blows your mind in that way of just the amount of time that can be covered and the way that a character that you're following very closely, you turn the page and it switches to a different section and suddenly you're decades ahead or you're in the mind of a different character. Um, so again, I'll, I'll resort to reading a little passage that will probably do a better job of giving an impression than I will. It says, I write, she wrote, that memory is fragile and the space of a single life is brief, passing so quickly that we never get a chance to see the relationship between events. We cannot gauge the consequences of our acts, and we believe in the fiction of past, present, and future. But it may also be true that everything happens simultaneously. And now I seek my hatred and I cannot seem to find it. 
I feel its flame going out as I come to understand its existence. It would be difficult for me to avenge all those who should be avenged, because my revenge would be just another part of the same inexorable right. I have to break that terrible chain. I want to think that my task is life, and that my mission is not to prolong hatred, but simply fill these pages. So that might give you an impression of she's just an absolutely wonderful writer. But like I said, it talks about a lot of those things of generations, the way that things are passed on, um, but also just, you know, that idea of trying to deal with the inheritance of you know, memory and, and the things that your family passes along, but also forge your own way. All of that with the magical realism lens. There's some things that happen in this book that would definitely feel at home in a Marquez novel, for example. So. Yeah, that's nice. one. Like I said, it's hard to talk about some of these because I don't remember a lot of the details. But I <laughs> Part of the I... purpose of the episode, <laughs> exactly. But it's one that every time I think about that book, same thing. It's like I need to go back and reread that. And I remember I had a coworker who I worked with um, right around when the boys were born, and Isabel Allende was her favorite novelist. And so every time she came out with a new novel, she would immediately pick it up. And I remember having a lot of conversations about her and her work. But the same thing, I don't think I've ever read another book by her other than this one. So it's just crazy. I don't know what that is about me. <laughs> Sounds like something I need to explore a little bit. you got all these other favorite authors you've got to keep on fitting into that's, the schedule, you know. That's the thing. Plus all these na- debut novelists and yeah. everything else. Have you read anything by her? I'm assuming if you haven't read that one, maybe you haven't read any of her other ones. But I don't know if that's true. Uh, I don't think that I have. She certainly yeah. is someone that I knew about. And I remember in college, a lot of friends picking up her books and reading them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never did. Yeah. Well, if you ever decide Or, or I forgot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You've actually read all of them, Trevor. Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no. All right. Well, my next one, I'm wondering if you've read, I think it did come up some, some in discussion on Palimpsest back in the day, and it's uh, Larry Watson's Montana 1948. I have read that yeah. one, and I actually thought about that because, yeah. It, it could probably apply to me for this episode. Well, I do know that I considered it a favorite when I read it, but mm-hmm. again, not something that I bring up very often. And um, I'll just, for, for, for listeners who haven't read it, it's a book about a, a middle-aged man thinking back on his childhood because when he was a kid, he, he has a few, this kind of fits for this episode too. He mm-hmm. has a few very particular memories and he has no idea how they fit together. The, the memory, the images, I guess I I should say more than, more than any kind. Well, let's just put it his way from the summer of my 12th year. I carry a series of images more vivid and lasting than any others of my boyhood and indelible beyond all attempts. The years make to erase or fade them. It doesn't really know how they go together, but they are a Sioux woman lying in fever on a bed in his house. And then another one, his father kneeling on the kitchen floor in front of his mother, begging her to help him. And then the third one, his mother loading a shotgun that she intended to fire. And he doesn't really know what it was, uh, but they they changed his life. Um, And here he's kind of thinking back. He says, I find history endlessly amusing, knowing as I do that the record of any human community might omit stories of sexual abuse, murder, suicide, who knows, perhaps any region's most dramatic, most sensational stories were not played out in pu- in the public view, but were confined to small, private places. A doctor's office, say. A white-framed house on a quiet street. 
And uh, this is a great book, great story, great exploration of memory and of uh, how these things can play out quietly. It actually spurred me. But what uh, I didn't, I didn't remember this. But looking at my post on it, um, when I read this book, my parents had just barely, like within a week of me finishing this book, moved away from my childhood town, not far away, uh-huh. but you know, moved away from my childhood house. Um, this is the town, not only that I grew up in, but that they grew up in. And that their mm-hmm. parents grew up in. So it's kind of like, oh, wow, you guys are, you know, kind of moving away from something that we've, you know, a town we lived in for generations. Um, and I asked them, you know, not necessarily looking for scandal, but realizing I was young and and ignorant and, and you know, self-absorbed and probably didn't ever know about some of the the things that may have rocked our town when I was growing yeah. up or that, that, you know, I should have, would have known about later on, or maybe not, you know, these things tend to be very quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I did wonder, you know, what, what haunted the people that I knew as I grew up, but I was too, you know, blind to, to pay any attention or see it. And, and I wrote, um, Let's see. For better or for worse, my parents have been unable to supply me with much information. <laughs> you know, there was not apparently kind of a boring town. And I, I'm sure some of my childhood impressions of tranquility were true. Um, but also, I expect that some of it's just that we are very good at keeping to ourselves our troubles. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that way even more now that I'm an adult and I do, you know, see what people are going through. I'm like, yeah, this is... It, it's silly to think that this isn't how it always is. And in quiet towns, your neighbor's lives and how much, you know, how, how much, how important it is um, to be kind and caring mm-hmm. and good because you just don't know and, and won't, couldn't know what, what people mm-hmm. are going through. And I think this is, this book was one of the, one of the times when I really thought about that. This and like something like so long, see you tomorrow. Um, you know, funny. I was just about to mention that book. I, I, I knew, I knew you were. Exactly. Yep. Your role <laughs> continues. No, that one, I do associate those two books very closely together um, yeah. for those same reasons, like the, the the memories of childhood and the impressions of what you think is happening versus what's happening in reality and all of that. Yeah. That's a wonderful book. I'm glad you brought it up. And actually, it's funny because I did rate that five stars. So <laughs> that one might be pretty close to applying to one of those forgotten five star reads for me. Have you read any of his other stuff? I have Justice, which is a series of short stories by him, and I have not read it. I probably bought it shortly after reading that and was planning to read it right away and just still haven't gotten to it. I haven't, and I think part of the reason is something that you've brought up before. I I loved Montana 1948 so much that I, until someone tells me these other things are worth it, I'm just going to assume that this is the the thing kind he's written that mm-hmm. I need to read and that I, I don't want to in any way tarnish it, which is silly, mm-hmm. but also I, I genuinely think that's part of my thought process when I see his other books to think, well, nah, no one's, no one's shouting into the rooftops about those, but to be fair, no one's doing that about Montana 1948 either. So it's true. It's true. Well, if anybody out there has read any of his stuff and has any thoughts, let us know. But otherwise I may have to take the plunge and try justice one of these days and report back. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, my next one, I, I I keep saying this, but I don't know how much I'm going to be able to say about it because for how strong (laughs) an impression it made on me at the time, I don't have very strong memories of the details, but it's tobacco road by Urson Caldwell. (laughs) Have you read read that one? Are you familiar? Yeah. I mean, 
again, I think it was probably from that same time time frame. Um, I think it was somebody on Palimpsest who recommended it to me. It's a 1932 novel, and it is all about this very dysfunctional family of um, sharecroppers. So it takes place in the U.S. during the Great Depression, and it's in Georgia actually that it takes place. And I remember that the characters themselves are not good people necessarily, but they're just wonderful characters. It's got some pretty dark comedy in it, but it also has a lot of earnestness and a lot of, you know, they're striving under very difficult circumstances to make the best of their lives, but by no means are they, you know, aspirational characters. I mean, they're damaged, damaged people. They, you know, do lots of things that are not stuff that anybody would want to say is something to strive for. But in some ways, I think that's why it made such a strong impression on me. I don't necessarily love those the black and white novels, and this has a lot of gray areas. Um, I guess apparently it was adapted as a 1941 film by John Ford. But hmm. according to the reviews I read, they said it played mainly for laughs. You know, it was hmm. went for kind of the funny stuff, which there is funny stuff in this novel. But according to this, it removed a lot of the darker plot elements or changed them. Um, so to me, that would not be you know, the good place to start. I would, I would dive right in here. Um, so there, there's a little bit here about the main character that I think gives a good impression of kind of the tone of this book. It says it was still not too late to begin, but Jeter did not have a mule and he did not have the credit to purchase seed cotton and guano at the stores. Up until this year, he had lived in the hope that something would happen at the last moment to provide a mule and credit. But now it seemed to him that there was no use hoping for anything anymore. He could still look forward to the following year, when he could perhaps raise a crop of cotton, but it was an anticipation not so keen as it once had been. He had felt himself sink lower and lower, his condition fall further and further, year after year, until now his trust in God and the land was at the stage where further disappointment might easily cause him to lose his mind and reason. He still could not understand why he had nothing, and would never have anything, and there was no one who knew, and who could tell him. It was the unsolved mystery of his life." So it's just, mm. oh, it's really good. It's it's just that whole, so many people during that time, it's that blend of hope and excitement for what you think the world is going to be, and, you know, and these sharecroppers and all these people, you know, kind of like the Grapes of Wrath where they're going off and there's all these rumors they're chasing about just right over the next hill, you know, that's going to change our entire fortune and it just keeps not happening. And so it, it's sad and it's bleak, mm. but I do remember there's a lot of some black humor and some funny stuff that takes place between the different family members and their neighbors to kind of keep things going as well. So again, it's one of those books. I, I found it in a used bookstore. Um, I remember at the time that I first read it, I got it from the library based on somebody's recommendation and loved it, but I never did own it. And then a couple of years ago, I just stumbled on it in, the, in a used bookstore and snatched it up right away. And that was kind of what prompted me to remember it in the first place, which is crazy for how much I loved it. So might be time to revisit that one one of these days pretty soon. Nice. Yeah, yeah. not one that I know. I'm glad you introduced it because I don't know anything about that one, really. I think oh, yeah. I've heard the title, but it may just be because I've looked at lists of John Ford movies, you know. Right. Um, but that sounds really good. Yeah. And that's another one of those that for how little most people have probably heard of it and I hadn't heard about it, it, it has been highly acclaimed. You know, it's... Modern Library had it ranked on 100 best English language novels of the 20th century, for example. I mean, so it's not like, it, again, going back to our point of some of these books aren't necessarily hidden gems. I mean, they've been acclaimed, but they still somehow managed to 
beneath the waves. Yeah, my, my next one is definitely not a hidden gem. And it's one that I remember, but mm-hmm. I, again, don't think about it too often. And before I tell you the title, I'll just tell you, I must have had a theme as I was putting together my list for this episode. You know, Dandelion Wine, the Katsui's, um Youth Trilogy, mm-hmm. Montana 1948, all these kind of childhood you know, waking up, trying to figure the world out. And my, my fourth one on my list is Annie Dillard's An American Childhood, <laughs> mm. which is like all of these things explicitly explored of, you know, being able to wake up and to see the world around you versus just, uh, uh, you know, be a part, be, you know, go through it. Um, mm-hmm. I love this book, but I don't think about it. I, I, I don't think I've recommended it to anybody since I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, I, I just, I, I love, I love Annie Dillard. And this is probably my favorite of the books of hers that I read. It's about her, her, uh, her youth. You know, it's a, it's again, didn't, I didn't think about this at all until just now. Funny. <laughs> it's, it's her childhood um, uh, growing up in, in Pennsylvania. And it's, it, again, she is explicitly um, talking about, seeing um, and talking about waking up. She says, I I woke in bits like all children, piecemeal over the years. I discovered myself and the world and forgot them and discovered them again. That's fitting, right? Mm -hmm. Very fitting. (laughs) I woke at intervals until by that September when father went down the river, the intervals of waking tipped the scales and I was more often awake than not. I noticed this process of waking and predicted with terrifying logic that one that one of these years not far away I would be awake continuously and never slip back and never be free of myself again. Mm. Oh man, she is so good and mm-hmm. I this makes me want to reread it right now. Um I was I was delighted when I remembered, oh yes, that is one of my favorite books and I never think about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, because it deserves to be thought about and revisited and uh, woken up to, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a great one. I love her. I've I've read a couple of her books, and every time I read them, it's the same thing. Like, well, I need to read the rest of her stuff, and yeah. I don't. So that's a good one. I have well, not read that one. Oh, then then yes, jump on it. And there's mm. there's just a really pretty edition um, that I have. I don't know if it's still the current edition, uh, but I I love the colors. I mean, it's it's just. Again, it's it's one of my favorite books that I that I own. Mm. You know, I feel like if mm. I were running around, I'd want to pick it up and 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 bring it out of the house. You know, make sure that yeah. it was a book that survived if I needed to needed to grab a few. Mm. Um, because it just I don't know, it means something. I am wondering mm. as I sit here, and I'm not going to come to any kind of conclusion, but the, again, these are books that made an impression on me at a younger age. You know, that, that I've kind of forgotten about. And that have to do with memory and working through those memories. And I'm, I'm wondering how much of that was at play when I was putting this list together, or if that's just, mm. just the way it, it is. I mean, these are all, these are some of my favorite themes anyway. Some of the things I have affinities to anyway. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is interesting. It's, yeah, it might be more that it might be more that, that I just, you know, I love these, like a lot of my favorite books that I do think about that if we had our, here are our top 10 books. 
would probably mm-hmm. be similar to these. So that category. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting though. Like, yeah, who knows <laughs> chicken or the egg, but it's really cool. Um, well, my last one, I don't know if you've read this one or not, but speaking of themes, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I can thank John self for this one too. We talked about blogs and the way that we get exposed to books and back, you know, 15 years ago, your blog and John self's blog asylum were two of my go-to sources for where I was discovering all these books. And so I apologize for repeating myself so often, but it really was when I think back to some of those times in my life where I was, you know, just getting exposed to all these great new forms of literature. It was, you know, people like you and John who were writing about them and his blog asylum, for those of you who don't know, I mean, before he was the world famous reviewer that he is these days, he had this (laughs) wonderful blog and he would just put out these wonderful reviews of all these books, um, exposed me to so many great books. And the one I'm talking about right now is Colony by Hugo Wilkin. Hmm. Do you remember that one? Did you read mm-hmm. that one? Yeah. Yep. It's, yep. This was a book that, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it made much of an impression. And in fact, his review basically starts out saying that. He says, Hugo Wilkin's second novel was published in the UK straight into paperback in 2007. Saddled by a hopeless cover, lost in the sea of novels published each year, it sank so far as I can tell without a trace or almost without a trace. And then he says, I caught mention of it on Steve Mitchellmore's blog. And then he says, so I picked up a copy about 18 months ago and left it to language, that hopeless cover. <laughs> it took a couple <laughs> of days of plain hotels without the distraction of other books to make me read it at last. And I was amazed. And so, yeah, like he said, it, it it's a hideous cover. And I mean, even the book itself is not, you were just talking about a book as a physical object that you would grab if there was a fire this is not one of those. I remember even when I got it in the mail, I was so excited because John had recommended it. And I think I ordered it from the UK and I got it and I was like, huh, this is what all the fuss is about. Cause it's, it's not, <laughs> it's just not a good looking book. That's all there is to say. But um, I guess, you know, delving into what it's about, you see a lot of mentions of Papillon. Yes. You know, man, heart That's of darkness comes up. Yeah. Um, John self says he would add Damon Galgut to the, to the mm. mix of, 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 you know, similarities. And I think all those are true, but basically, you know, the idea behind this book is um, it's set in 1928 and there's this guy named Sabir who's described as a petty criminal, a drifter, but he's also a veteran. He's on a prison ship that's bound for this penal colony colony in the French tropics. Um, and soon after his arrival, he's shipped off to work in this camp that's deep in the jungle um, but from there, it just turns into this kind of, you know, adventure story. There's some mystery, but what I remember most about this book is halfway through, it just resets and completely jumps to a different storyline. And again, I don't know if that's part of the reason that it made such an impression on me, but it was unlike anything I'd read before. And I kind of want to reread it. I don't know if you have any memories, but in my mind, I don't really remember being able to resolve those two halves of the book together in any logical way. I think there were some connections and I don't know if it's my lack of memory or if there really was kind of an obscurity there that was intentional. But all I remember is that despite that, this book, you know, I I have some very strong memories of place, the jungle that's described, the prison Mm -hmm. ship, you know, and and the whole kind of Papillon feel of, of these, you know, to us exotic landscapes, but very unforgiving and threatening as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
like I said, it's, it's another one where it's, for me, it's more about impressions and feelings. I remember being kind of blown away by all of that, but also left not really understanding what I had just read. So I do remember reading this book and really enjoying it. And I would say it, mm-hmm. it would fit the bill for my uh, list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had completely forgotten about the structure yeah. um, until you brought that up. And here, here's, here's part of my review. I said, the book's intelligent structure, I've alluded to it above, is another reason I was compelled to finish it as quickly as possible. See, somewhere towards the middle, Wilkin has the reader second-guessing his or her reading, which is mm. quite a feat for someone who writes so clearly and who moves the plot forward with little showiness. It's one of those moments... The tiny instance when, almost imperceptibly, one's world tilts, then tips over into something else entirely. This second guessing continues through the remainder of the book. Far from being an annoyance, this is part of the book, this sense of shifting reality and of shifting identity. It plays with our own memory of events, makes us question the impressions it just made on us. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Again, it almost makes me wonder how many of these books that I've kind of forgotten. It's because of their dreamlike qualities mm-hmm. um, that I love it in the moment, but they, they don't, I, I guess my brain has a harder time um, maintaining that sense of, uh, of confusion um, without making sense of it. Whereas I love it in the moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that one as as we said, was hard to find almost from the beginning and looking mm-hmm around i mean there's it's certainly not on amazon for example like other than used copies but if there's anybody out there who is intrigued by that i mean i think you can track down copies and it's one of those interesting books that never really got i don't think as much notoriety as it probably deserved yeah did you ever read the reflection when it came out no, oh, to continue yeah. my theme of not following up on authors. No, <laughs> I didn't, well, I didn't but, either. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I remember when it came out thinking, oh, yes, another book by Hugo Wilkin. I loved Colony, and I, I, I was looking to see if I have it. I don't see either of those books. It's possible that I th- thought, well, I need to make some room and mm. and took them to the to the shop. But uh, well, if you were someone going else, down your list of spines... Like I said, not to keep ripping on this poor book's physical appearance, but if you were going based on that, it would be the first one out the window because it was not not an attractive book. Oh, man. Yeah, good memories, though. I remember John doing that kind of call to arms of trying Mm -hmm. to resurrect this book, and I jumped on it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. My last one, it doesn't quite follow the same theme, I don't think. However, it is one of my favorite books that I really couldn't tell you what happens in it. Um, mm. But I wanted to bring it up because it's been eclipsed by another favorite book by the authors that we bring up all the time. Um, this is Adam Bede by George Eliot. It's her mm. first novel. Man, I when I first sat down, I remember picking this book up and it's pretty thick and thinking, oh, I can't wait to get into this. And just loving it. Loving, you know, I, I marked pages. Um, I was doing so much with this book. And it was a lot of years later that I just basically remembered that I loved it so much and recommended it to my mom, who did not appreciate my recommendation. Trevor, that's <laughs> such a, a terrible book. And she wasn't, I think she liked it, but also was like, why are you recommending me a book about all these dark things that are going on? And I'm like, dark things? It was Adam Bede. He was such a, a helpful, you know, 
um, car- local carpenter. He he helped people. And then I remember going and kind of looking at the uh, the various storylines and uh, you know child murder and uh, prison and and affairs and all this and thinking oh yeah mom I I really liked it I forgot those were in it but aren't you glad you read it kind of thing you know <laughs> and I still don't remember all those plot lines I just remember being thoroughly captivated by this book um, really loving it when I read it. And, you know, again, of course, I'm saying, you know, Middlemarch has taken the cake and it's something mm-hmm. I've read more recently and that I want to reread. But it's kind of made Adam Bede go even further down into just something in my past that is very possible. I would never really think about again, other than this opportunity to sit down and, and kind of talk about it and and examine mm-hmm. that that idea of what are some of my favorite books that I've forgotten uh, because I, I loved this book and I, I love George Eliot's books in general. This was the first one of hers I ever read and um, still uh, very much one that I, I would say is a favorite book, but I have very little memory of the book itself and, um, and don't think about it. You know, when someone says, Hey, tell me, tell me, tell me a hundred of your favorite books. I'm not sure this one would come up, even though it certainly should. Right. Now that's interesting because a lot of times the first book you read by an author can be the one that sticks with you. Oh. But if there was ever one that was going to supersede another one, I think Middlemarch right. makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's funny because, you know, I I read, for example, like Thomas Hardy, I read Tess of the Durbervilles and that book made a huge impression on me. And some of his other ones that I've read and enjoyed do kind of fade into the background. It's so interesting <laughs> how that can happen. Um, but have yeah, you read George The Elliott, Return of the Native? I've not read that Sorry. one. I've read The Mayor of oh. Casterbridge. Yeah. I need to. The read, reason yeah. I asked is because it was the first Thomas Hardy book that I read, and mm. sim- like you said, it's the one mm-hmm. for me. It's the one. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it really is, or if it's just that it was my first, and therefore yeah. one that I really treasure. So. For sure. Well, and as I've said with Tess, for example, I think a lot of what we were talking about earlier in this episode, the conversations, because I took that, or I, I read that during college. And so I remember just having conversations, underlining, writing notes and engaging with other people about it. And I do think that that's one of the reasons that it has stuck with me. So yeah, it's it's fascinating to see all this stuff. Mm. I do need to read more George Eliot, including rereading Middlemarch. That one, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I'm due. And then I need to to kind of just follow that trail because I do have several other books of hers, including Adam Bede. Get to it. <laughs> I know. I need to. Oh, as always happens, it's like my. All right, I need to read every book right away. I know, and this, and we've talked about this before too. Maybe we need to start recording these in the evening, so we really can leave this and go and sit down and read, versus leave this and go run errands and then get exhausted. <laughs> I know it's true. I think you're right, and lose some of the the not lose the enthusiasm, but genuinely lose some of the ability to act on the enthusiasm. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, maybe some of our listeners out there will have a chance whenever they're listening to immediately go and pick up either one of these books or something that's prompted by this that they want to dive right into. Yeah, exactly. I I will bring up one last thing if, if you're okay with it. It's somewhat okay. related, kind of not. Um, a favorite author that we have talked about, but that I'm, 
have been in danger of of forgetting not forgetting that how much i love her work not forgetting that i you know even pieces of her work but just again it's been so long since i made my way through her books and that's virginia wolf mm. um i i love 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 her books and i love her diaries and granta recently published her five volume um you know diaries that were originally published in the 90s and that when I first went to grad school and we got these new like privileges at the, at the university library to mm-hmm. check out books for kind of as long as you wanted, I, I checked out the five. Uh, that was the first place that I went. I still remember like, you know, early September going into that library. I remember the lighting, you know, or at least my mm-hmm. brain has made it this way um, and going and find, I could probably walk right to this place, um, you know, unless the library's changed a ton. Uh, and grabbing those five books and walking straight to the checkout and going and, and, oh. and starting on them. I just, I love those diaries so much. And I, I got the ones from Granta and I've decided to do a reread of her, of her works and short stories and novels while I'm working through the journals in order. This is going to take me forever. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not a, something that I've s- decided I need to schedule and sit down and make sure I'm reading every day from something. Um mm-hmm. But I I love I I have loved having that kind of thought back in my mind, and just getting back and and bringing some of this old forgotten favorite back into my present life. You know, here's me twenty some odd years later, and how much they mean to me still, but in a new way. And so mm-hmm. it's just been really 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 fun. That's um, awesome. She has what a great such project. A, it, she has such a great body of work and her life is so fascinating and her insights are so fascinating. I mean, it's, it's one of these authors that, you know, I know she was a real person, but in many ways her life has come to be representative and its own, it's almost its own work of art hmm. worth exploring and, and trying to understand all of its nuances and complexities and so I, I am, I am loving that project and just wanted to let people know in case someone's interested in doing something similar, you know, the Granta yeah. books are wonderful. Yeah. Such I a have, great, great publication. I have the birthday, a birthday coming up and Christmas. So those might have to go on my list. Cause I saw you posting and they're absolutely gorgeous. I know that you influenced at least a couple of our friends out there. Mm-hmm. So yes. Take yes. The like, so Yeah. A good influence. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, they, 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 and that's how I was. It was like Father's Day, birthday, and and the, I see those books, and I'm like, oh, here you go. <laughs> you don't have to, exactly. you don't have to think anymore. <laughs> yep, search no further. Love it. Well, yeah, I'll have so, to. You'll have to keep us updated on that project, but that sounds absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and uh, listeners, if uh, you know, in, along these lines, did did any books come to mind to you today, or? Or if, if, if not, are you willing to go and search for a few mm. old favorites that you've forgotten about? And I would love to hear about them and, and, and share some of those thoughts on future episodes. So please uh, share away. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. It's always nice. It's, you know, it's been a few weeks is all from our last episode, but it always is refreshing. And uh, yeah. some, for some reason, feels like it was longer ago that we sat down and recorded our episode on the dry heart. It does. Um, I don't, don't know why. 
If only our lives were a little less busy, we could do it once a week, maybe someday. (laughs) Someday, someday we'll, we'll, we'll maybe be able to do something like that and, and read, read enough that it would be worth it because we'd have all these new things to to say and, and, and talk about. (laughs) For sure. So, all right. Well, thanks everybody. Hope you're having a lovely end of the summer. Happy August. We will be back uh, toward the end of the month. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com mooks. Until next time.